We continue our series this morning, and our first Bible reading is to be found on page two of the Church Bibles, and it will be on the overhead. From Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their, ne- their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds in the sky, and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. The second reading you'll find on page 1182 of the Church Bibles. It'll be on the overhead, and it's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 17, page 1182. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Thanks so much, Gary. Uh, I'm going to throw up a picture on the screen for you to look at. This uh, fine group of young gentlemen... Uh, are called the Bloodhound Gang. They're uh, an American hip-hop, punk rock alternative group, and years ago they recorded a song called The Bad Touch. In it, the chorus goes like this. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do like they do on the Discovery Channel. Now, they're making a really crass point, right? Really crass. They're saying that and we're no different to any other animals in the planet, so just live without any moral compass, just like any other, uh, any other beast that you see. Um, now, you may not think it's really smart to go to a group of uh, punk hip-hop rockers to get your philosophical input on the meaning and purpose of life, right? Uh, that you may be thinking, why start with these guys? But here's the thing. You and, uh, and I both know that what they're doing is they're echoing... 
uh, the views of modern 20th and 21st century philosophers on the nature of humanity and whether there is any essential difference between us. So uh, people like Peter Singer, he's a professor of bioethics at Princeton University, an Australian by birth, and he is a brilliant evolutionary biologist and ethicist. There's no question about that. He's written books, and these books are essential reading for introductory courses, both in uh, social sciences and uh, bioethics at university. A prolific author and influential man. Now, this is what he says, and the quote's in your uh, outline, your leaflet, if you want to follow along. He says, to give preference to the life of a being simply because that being is a member of our species would put us in the same position as racists who give preference to those who are members of their race. Now, isn't that an extraordinary statement? There is no essential difference between us and animals. And if you think differently to that, then you're what he calls a speciest. That is, not a racist, but someone who discriminates on the basis, uh, basis of species. Are we any different to animals? Are we any different? And the thing is, you know, like me, that uh, humanity, uh, we're an enigma, a strange combination. We're capable of, of kindness, of generosity, of self-sacrifice, of compassion, love, uh, commitment that's not seen among the animals. And yet we're capable of much greater evil than any other species. That's the reality. We can be malicious and cruel and destructive. When you get to Genesis chapter 3, which we'll do in a few weeks' time, it gives us a window into why there is evil in the world and especially in the human heart. But today what I want to do is focus here on Genesis chapter 1 and ask that question, uh, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean uh, to be a human being? Who are we in the created economy of God's purposes? So if you're following along on the outline, we're up to point number one. Um, What we've seen is that uh, humanity is the apex of God's creation. Last week, uh, we saw that God is the hero of chapter one. Uh, He is the one who exists before all things are made. He creates, he controls everything. And this God, he is good. His generosity is reflected in all that he has made. And what that means is the world is no accident, random event of nature in a meaningless universe. Everything God has made has purpose. And that includes human beings. And the fact that that's the case is actually written into the very way in which this first chapter comes together. The the details of the way it's written. Uh, This is sophisticated literature. Let me try and show you how uh, humanity is painted as being at the apex of creation here. All non-human creation here in chapter 1 is defined by its relationship to human beings. Uh, That is, uh, plants and animals, even the planets, uh, described in terms of how they connect to human beings. So, for example, on day 
4, verse 14 of the first chapter, the moon and the sun, they're not cosmologically defined. They're defined by virtue of their capacity to order calendar events, uh, seasons, and that's for the benefit of human beings. Uh, Did you notice on day six, when we get to the creation of animals in humanity, it's like there's a a key change in a song. Um, Now, I want to confess to you, I do not have a musical bone in my body, right? Not not a single one. Other people in my family do, but I, I missed out on this gene. But I get it. When we have a key change in a song, it's to signal a big idea or that we're getting to a climax point in terms of what the song is saying. I'm looking at Emma so she can nod and say, yes, that is right. Yes, that is right. Okay. Good. Okay. Here we get to day six. And I don't know if you noticed, but in this first chapter, it all slows down. Uh, There's emphasis here. There are more words, uh, twice as many words here in day six as any other day that heads into it. And there are a number of things that are highlighted here in this day. There's a distinction between animals and human beings. Do you notice in verse 24, God says, let the land produce living creatures. But notice the difference when we get God saying in verse 26, let us make man in our image. There's a a closer, closer, more personal interest in humanity at this point. Or even the literary structure of this sixth day places humanity in the centre. When you come to verses 24 and 25, it's all about animals. At the other end of the the, uh, the day, verses 29 to 30, there's provision of food for humans and animals. But 26 to 28, in the middle, these verses, the centrepiece is all about human beings. And even when it comes down to the detail of particular words that are being used. Um, As you go through this first chapter, there are two words that are used to describe God's creative work. And they're evident here in the English. Two different words. So if you look at the word make, uh, that comes up in verse 7, um, verse 16, and verse 25. So look at verse 7. God made the vault that separated the water under the vault from the water above it. Or if you come to verse 16, God made the two great lights. Okay. Now I want you to notice there's a different word used uh, for God's work, create, in other, other points, but especially around humanity. So in verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. When you get to verse 27, three times it talks about God's creative activity in relation to human beings. Now, these two words are different words in Hebrew. Right? It's a deliberate difference of use of words. Uh, the word for make is the Hebrew word asar. The word for create is the Hebrew word bara. Okay? Now, you may think, I didn't really come to church this morning for a lesson in Hebrew, okay? And I get that you may be feeling that way. Uh, But it's significant that these words are being used because they emphasise how important um, God's connection to humanity and his intention for them are. Let me try and illustrate um, 
by analogy. Uh, this morning, uh, when I got up, right, at home, I made my bed, right? Made my bed. Now, in fact, I didn't make my bed this morning. I neglected to do that. But that tells you how important the task is to me. Not very much at all, right? And I take it probably for most of you, that task of making your bed is fairly insignificant, right? Um, I've got a son-in-law who is an artist. Now, let me say, he does not make paintings. Right? He creates works of art. And it's very different because... His, his very person is invested in the creation of that art. Now, when you understand that distinction, you get the distinction that's being made here in Genesis 1 between God making and God creating. When we come to verse 27, three times we're told God creates man. He creates them, male and female. He created them. That is, we are very central in God's purposes, in the plan of God. Now, they're just briefly some of the the literary sort of clues that highlight that humanity has a special place in the plan of God. But when you get to verse 27, right here at the centre of day six, it's all spelt out explicitly. Look at verse 27 with me. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does that mean? See, when I jumped up this morning to preach, did you all sort of look at me and go, you know, Paul Harrington really reminds me of God. You know, I'm thinking probably not. I'm thinking that that wasn't the case. So what does it mean to be made in the image of God? There's been lots of speculation around this one over the years. Um, uh, People have suggested it means something to do with our physical appearance or our intelligence or our ability to reason, um, personality, the capacity for relationships, our creativity. Yeah, all sorts of different ideas have been thrown around. But, you know, the best way to work it out, and the best way to work out whatever the Bible's saying at any point, is always look at the context in order to, to assess what, what we are talking about at this point. So let's look more closely at what it means to be made in the image of God. Firstly, there's a unique relational capacity, uh, both with God and with one another. In verse 27, did you notice it talks about uh, human beings being made male and female? And you might say, well, no different to any other animal species. There are males and females in every animal species, right? Yep. Here's the interesting thing. Uh, When it talks about the animals being made, it doesn't talk about males and females. But here, the emphasis is on male and female. And I think it's got something to do with the way humanity relates. And in fact, that's developed when you get to chapter 2 and the whole issue of marriage comes into play. 
I'll, I'll return to that, uh, that marriage question in a few weeks' time when we come to Genesis chapter 2. But there's clearly a relational dimension that's there. But also, what you see is that we're made for special relationship with God in, in a way that the animals aren't. Let me show you again some of the uh, ways in which that, that comes out in the text. If you look at verse 24... And this God says, uh, let the land produce living creatures. But when you get to verse 28, notice what it says there. God blessed them, that is people, blessed them and said to them, said to them. You see, God communicates with people in a direct way, in a way that animals are not communicated with. It's a different relationship here relationship but also there's a delegated authority and responsibility in this world Uh, verse 26 here's the instruction Uh, human beings are to rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock and over all the earth over all the creatures that move along the ground then verse 28 the instruction is to subdue the earth and to rule over it uh, humanity is given both privilege and responsibility by God. God entrusts his good creation to us and it's to enjoy it because it's good. Uh, that's the first thing. But also to care for it. Uh, we're given it on trust to manage it in line with the owner's intentions. That is, we're caretakers of this world. What I want to do for a few moments is to uh, take some of this this essential teaching about the the nature of who we are as human beings and just to tease it out a bit more and to see what the implications are. Firstly, I want to talk about the, the dignity and the value of all people in God's eyes. Peter Singer, uh, he says that people have no more value than a pet dog or a chicken. Uh, that's essentially the way he views things. But when you come to what the Bible says at this point, humanity are not just the result of the random throw of an evolutionary dice. Uh, we're so much more than that. God says we are made in his image and that gives us an intrinsic value because we're created by him. Now, what are the implications of that? The first thing is we, we won't be utilitarian. Now, that's a term that's used by ethicists, and all it means basically is that we don't value people because of what they can do or what they can give. Right? We don't value them on the basis of their output. Uh, we don't differentiate between people, their worth, based on their gifts or their personality or their beauty or their success but we value people because they're actually made by God, made in his image. That's why Christians have always been at the forefront of human rights. It's why Christians have also had social concern uh, when it comes to slavery or infanticide or abortion or euthanasia. It's why we will always speak up for those who do not have a voice of their own 
because we have deep concern for their care and to love them. You see the implications of this truth being made in the image of God, being worked out all the way through the scriptures. But I want to take you to one point where the connection between being made in the image of God and the way we treat one another is just explicitly outlined. If you come with me to James chapter 3, it'll be up on the screen so you don't need to look it up. James chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. So what we have here is an instruction uh, to a church about how they're to treat one another. When we get to chapter 3, the instruction is particularly about the way in which people speak to one another in the community of God's people. Now listen to the connection between the image of God and the way we speak to one another. Made in the image of God, speak to one another. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's image or likeness. Out of the same mouth come praises and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be. Did you see the, the logical connection here? That is, there is an inconsistency with using your tongue to praise God and using your tongue to curse those who are made in God's image. You cannot do that and declare yourself to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, where is this likely to um, land for us? this, this risk of treating people differently. Let me just, just paint a few possibilities for you. Um, I want you to imagine that you're you know, down in town in the Rundle Mall and you're going along Rundle Mall and you spot 150 metres down the road, uh, fairly dishevelled and down on their luck, sort of beggar on the side of the road, you know, side of the mall, looking, looking for a handout, got their head out. Now, 150 metres out, let me ask, what's your instinctive reaction when you spot that person? Do you suddenly see a very interesting-looking shop on the other side of the mall? Uh, Do you find yourself, as you approach the beggar, suddenly thinking, what a wonderfully sunny day it is, and look at that cloud formation over there? Or, do you remember? I know it's a complex social interaction situation, uh, but, friends, that, that beggar is made in the image of God ever so much as you or I are. Uh, precious because they have the same creator God that we have. Or maybe for you it's a different sort of issue. Maybe you find yourself um, not having as much time for someone with a mental disability. Uh, you find yourself moving on to have more interesting conversations or the aged, or the poor. Perhaps it is certain nationalities that you find yourself um, treating differently. Or maybe it's on the basis of how successful people are, or what sort of jobs they have. Can I say, understanding that we're created in the image of God means that a specialist medical doctor has no more value than an unemployed used car salesperson because both are made 
in the image of God. You see, this is a profound truth that we need to understand. But of course, if you dispense with God, it is the most natural thing in the world just to reflect on what people can do for me or what they can contribute to the common good. Or to actually spend all your time comparing yourself to other people and working out where you fit in the order of things. That is, to neglect the fact that you're made by God and suddenly to get your bearings in life based on how you've established your pecking order with other people. Do you see the folly of that? Instead of looking to the creator for your identity, look to other creatures. It's, it's, it's just foolish. And it'll lead you into a sort of a labyrinth of, of confusion and struggle. If you know God, and if you know that he's made people in his image, friends, it changes absolutely everything. Peter Singer, it's interesting, he, his mother uh, was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I think it was, uh, around the year 2000. She'd made it very clear that she held the same views as her son and that if she ever got to that sort of stage in life, uh, that she would prefer that she be euthanised uh, rather than have her life uh, preserved. Uh, Singer held those same views. And so when his mother contracted Alzheimer's, what did he and his sister do? Well, in fact, what they did was they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars preserving their mother's life until she actually did die. There's a very brave journalist who was interviewing Singer at one point after she died and pointed out, the inconsistency between his theory and his practice at this point and ask him how he could uh, justify his theoretical views of the way he actually operated when it came to the sickness that his mother had. And this, this is what he said back to the journalist. It's different when it's your mother. But see, he was right. And uh, uh, let me, uh, Singer has actually quite a complex web of trying to work these things out. But intuitively, he actually understood the truth. And a truth that we all, I think, intuitively get, which is the profound uh, beauty and rightness of understanding that we are made in the image of God. Uh, Because... Uh, this is foundational to understanding what it means to be human. The dignity of humanity. Second thing is, being made in the image of God is linked with our responsibilities in this world. Uh, we shared the sixth day with animals and it's said that uh, in some cases we have over 95% crossover in terms of our genome Uh, with the animal kingdom. Apparently that's the reality with chimpanzees. But let me say there is one profound difference. Unlike animals, uh, we are tasked with caring for creation. That is very different. 
Now, can I say, uh, Warwick de Jersey will be here next week preaching, and uh, Warwick is uh, currently working overseas uh, in mission work in the, um, the Middle East, and he's going to pick up on this issue of working because we're made in the image of God and what that means. So it'll be developed next week. It'll be great to hear Warwick. Uh, he'll, uh, he'll do a terrific job when he's with us. But let me make just a couple of comments on, on caring for our environment. Uh, humanity is historically has had a really bad track record in stewarding creation. Uh, we do tend to manipulate it and strip it to our own advantage. And in fact, Christians have often been blamed uh, for a number of the environmental problems that we have in, in our world uh, because of what Genesis chapter 1 says. You know, when you read that we're, t- we're told to rule and subdue the earth, environmentalists say, ah, that's a a recipe for people greedily uh, using the world and its resources to our own advantage. But can I say that that Christians uh, have a totally different view on the environment? Uh, That is, we should have the most to contribute in this area. And the reason for that is because we, we understand the one who made the world, we understand his intentions for creation, and we understand that we are entrusted with stewardship of this world in line with the creator's intentions. Now, there's an enormous amount that could be said on just this topic alone, uh, but can I urge you in this debate not to be on the back foot, but be on the front foot, uh, because we are actually the ones who are linked uh, to the person who made the whole universe and made this world. When people say, yeah, in Genesis it talks about Uh, rule and that leads to exploitation and greed, uh, that is not a Christian view. It is uh, totally foreign to what the Bible says. Uh, Subduing it means caring for the world and caring for it in a way that reflects the generosity of God. And finally, let me um, say that you cannot be... I don't think you can be complete as a person unless you know your creator. I actually don't think it's possible to be complete. I'm going to show you a, um, a slide now, a picture uh, that I took in a doctor's surgery. Uh, I took a picture of this picture in a doctor's surgery. Uh, soon I've been spending a fair bit of time in doctor's surgeries over the last 12 months or so, and you look around for things to do while you're waiting for doctors who aren't always on time, I've discovered. Uh, Many of you will know that experience. And as we're sitting down in this surgery, this, this um, shot, this print, was directly opposite where we were sitting. Now, it's, it's a stylized image of the Rundle Mall. Uh, there's an eye that sits above the mall's balls. I don't know if you can quite make that out. And the mall's balls, in effect, are teardrops flowing down from that eye. The picture is, is sterile. It's a desert. And I take it there's, there's, the image is one of a, a, the sadness of a culture that's gripped by materialism. Uh, we're, we're like pigs at the trough. There's smog, uh, the desert landscape, and that highlights, I suspect, the environmental problems that we're facing as human beings. You see that mechanical arm just to one side? What you may not be able to pick up is that it's, it's plucking up a 
foreigner to our lands with a view to disposing of them. In Genesis chapter 1, we're made in the image of God. When you get to Genesis 3, as we will in a few weeks' time, we see how humanity rejects God and rejects living in relationship with him, living under his loving care. And what we try and do is be God ourselves, which inevitably destroys our relationship with God, it impairs our relationships with one another, and it mucks up our connection to the created order more generally. You cannot have right self-image unless you serve the one who created you in his image. When we heard that reading, we had it as our declaration of faith and we heard the Bible on Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Uh, We're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Isn't that interesting? The image of the invisible God. And there are two things uh, that are clear from that. The first is uh, Jesus, by coming into this world, uh, shows us what it means to be truly human. We've only got to look, look at him and see what completeness as a human being looks like. But the second thing is, Jesus comes into this world to help us recover our true image and identity because we all turn our back on God. In Mark chapter 2, uh, Jesus is uh, teaching in a house and he's healing people. There are uh, some guys who have a mate who's either a quadriplegic or a paraplegic and they think, here's our chance to get our mate healed. And so they bring him in on a stretcher to try and get him close to Jesus so he can be healed. When they get close to the house, they work out they're not going to get close at all because there's such a crowd gathered around this house listening to Jesus. So what they do is they take their mate up on top of the roof, dig a hole in the roof of this house. They're good friends, but destructive friends. And lower this guy down on his pallet so he's plopped right in front of Jesus. Now, why do they do that? You don't need to be a rocket scientist to work this one out. They do it because they want to see their mate healed and walk. And what does Jesus do when he sees this man lie on his pallet? He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now, now be honest at this point. What do you think that guy was thinking when Jesus said this? I reckon he was thinking, isn't this typical? You come to church for a sandwich and they give you a sermon, you know, like, you know, that sort of, oh, this is what, what do you think his four friends were thinking? Well, we've just dug a hole in the roof so you could heal this guy so he could walk. Now, Jesus is not thick, all right? Now, one thing, Jesus is not is stupid. So why does Jesus do this? I'll tell you why he does it. Because this man's greatest need is to have his image restored. That is, to have his relationship with God sorted out. And in order for that to happen, he needs to be forgiven. He needs to be made right with his creator God. 
And can I say, subsequently, Jesus actually heals the guy's body. But he makes it very clear what the priorities are in this scheme of things. I think it is the great human quest, and perhaps more so in the 21st century than ever before, that what we do is we search for identity. We search for purpose. But of course, the key to self-understanding is to know the one who made you, to know the one who created you in his image, the one who loves you enough to send his own son into this world in order to restore us in relationship. And when you understand that, uh, you actually understand who you are made to be. Who you are made to be. Friends, uh, you and me, uh, nothing but mammals? No way, so much more. You are made in the image of the God who created the whole universe. And he made you for relationship with himself. That is an extraordinary privilege and gives us an amazing calling and purpose. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we... Uh, We thank you for your uh, wonderful mercy and kindness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we thank you that in your kindness you have made us uh, in your image for relationship with you and for serving you in this world. Father, we know that we we turn it by nature, we turn our backs on you. Uh, But Father, we, we thank you haven't left us in the dark scrabbling around for identity and purpose, but Uh, You've actually sent your son so that we can be forgiven. Uh, He gave his life uh, so that through his blood we might have forgiveness of sins. And Father, we pray that uh, understanding that mercy and grace that you've shown us, uh, that that will be central to our self-understanding as we live in this world. Uh, Father, we pray that we won't be duped by searching around for our meaning and significance in other places. Uh, by comparing ourselves with others or uh, striving to achieve more in order to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, but rather we'll look to you and that 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 reality will sort out our sense of who we are and why we're to live and how we can serve. Father, we know that's a, a profound work and an ongoing work, but we pray that you'll continue to do that in our lives, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.